Radiolab is supported by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're driving, exercising, cleaning. What if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Multitask right now. Quote today at Progressive.com, Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Listener supported. WNYC Studios. Uh, wait, you're listening. Okay. All right. Okay. All right. <coughs> you're listening, listening to Radio Lab. Radio Lab. From WNYC. Hey, everybody. Jad here. This is Radio Lab. Happy holidays. This is the first of two releases we're going to drop this week. Both uh, come from the same dude, the irrepressible Latif Nasser. Uh, Latif has been working with Radiolab for about nine years, first as a contributor, and then uh, we brought him on staff full time. And he has told you stories about the racial barriers in professional ice skating, badminton. Um, he brought you the three-part border trilogy a story about nuclear chain of command. Uh, It's working on something really cool for 2019, which we'll be bringing you soon. And um, yeah, we have two Latifs for you you, uh, this week. Uh, A couple days, we're going to actually send you a conversation that Latif had about how he finds the weird, peculiar stories that he seems to always find. Uh, He has a really interesting set of techniques that he goes through. Um, he wrote this article about it. It went sort of viral. So we're going to bring you a conversation uh, where he goes through some of that stuff. Uh, but today, I thought I'd play you the very first story that Latif did for us. Um, this goes back a ways. At the time, he was a grad student at Harvard. And uh, he'd written us an email saying, hey, are you guys into old robots? Like robots that are a few hundred years old? And then he had a whole list of them. Uh, like, for example, picking up with the story, I've heard rumors mm-hmm. whispered by Soren mostly uh, <laughs> about a pooping duck. A poop. Oh, so the pooping duck is really famous, actually. The b- duck wasn't really eating and pooping, but they had like a store of like pre- pre-pooped duck poop. <laughs> I don't know what it was. It looked like duck poop, maybe. And you would feed this robot duck and then watch it actually poop? Oh, I mean, all you see is you see sort of this in and this out. And, and people believed it? People thought this was a, this was a pooping duck. Um, and So we talked about a yeah. bunch of these uh, ancient robots, and most of them were kind of funny. But then he told us about one in particular that was... Actually, it was... Kind of haunting. Yeah, it's not poopy at all. So the year is uh, it's 1562. This is 450 years ago. Not so long after Columbus. Yep. Ferdinand and Isabella are dead, and there's a new king of Spain. Philip. Philip, yeah, and he has a son. The 17-year-old crown prince, his name's Don Carlos. And one day. He's in the royal lodgings. Uh, he's walking down a flight of stairs. He trips. He falls. He bashes his head against a door near the bottom of the stairs. Mm. This is the crown prince, you say? The crown prince of Spain. So this is a, a national calamity. It is a national calamity because he's the heir apparent, mm. right? So, so, so well, at first, it doesn't look like it's such a bad injury. He's still conscious. But then his head starts to swell to this kind of crazy size. He becomes delirious and feverish. He's struck blind. Ooh. 
And so at this point, the, the king comes, right? This is King Philip II. So he is at this time, he is the most powerful man in the world, right? So he basically controls the, all of the Americas. He controls much of Europe. The Philippines is named after him. He was tight with the pope. At this time, the pope and the king were kind of like, you know, BFF. Yeah. So, so the whole Spanish court is going nuts. Um, across the country, people are uh, seeing this, reading this as a kind of sign that uh, that God's very angry, yeah. right? And so they're they're fasting, they're doing these kinds of uh, prayer processions, things like this. And according to Latif, the king calls all the best doctors in Europe to come to Spain to help his son. And these doctors are trying everything. They are drilling a hole in his skull. To relieve the pressure? To relieve the pressure. They are bleeding him and blistering him and they are purging him to the extent that he has like 20 bowel movements within just like a certain few hours. <laughs> they're like smearing all over the wound. They're, they're smearing like turpentine and honey oh, and Poor Don Carlos. But e- even after all of this um, th- they sort of look at each other. They, they look at him and it's kind of like uh, this is, he's gonna die. It's, 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 so he's dying? Yeah. He's basically on his deathbed. So, at this point, according to Latif, the king goes to his son. Legend goes that he kneels beside uh, his son at his son's deathbed, and he makes a pact with God. The pact is, if if you help me, if you heal my son, if you do this miracle for me, I'll do a miracle for you. Wow, that's that's a... It's quite uh, hubristic of a of a human being to say to God. Well, let's also remember that he's the he's he's the most powerful man in in, in the world at this point. He is a god among men, really. Yeah, hubristic or not, this is this is what he says. Yeah, okay. All of a sudden, his son just gets better. Really? Within a week, he can see again. Within a month, he, he it's as if he didn't fall at all. He just pops right back up? Yeah. And King Philip must have thought, well, my God, this is this Exactly, is my God. It's probably exactly what he <laughs> yeah. thought. And when his son can finally speak, he says to him, Dad, you know, the weirdest thing happened when I was out. I had this dream. Oh, that's a great story. This is Elizabeth King. I'm an artist and uh, a professor in the sculpture department at Virginia Commonwealth University. And she's actually the one that hooked Latif on the story. Yep. In any case, the dream. There are documents of Don Carlo next morning saying that he had had a dream. This vision. That a, that a figure. In a, in a Franciscan habit. Shaved head. Sharp nose. This marvelous monk. Entered his room. And approached his deathbed holding a cross and basically told him, you're going to be fine. And that's quite well documented. Apparently there was a witness in the room. In the sick room with him that night. Who overheard the prince talking to a ghost, sort of mumbling things in his delirium. So Don Carlos has this dream. Suddenly he's fine. And the natural question that people are asking is, who is this monk? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, is it just a generic monk or is it somebody specific, some messenger from God? And from his description. Physical description. And the shaved head. The pointy nose, the monk's habit. Piercing eyes. Even the kind of cross he was using. Everybody in town, the king, everyone was like, oh yeah. Like we know exactly who this guy is. Can only really be one guy. Kind of local friar who died a hundred years before named uh, Diego de Alcala. Diego de Alcala. 
Who's he? He is a, a local holy figure whose corpse was associated with a number of documented miracles. In fact, this guy was so holy in this town. Mm-hmm. Actually, not just in the town. You want to know something? There's a bit of trivia. Ever heard of San Diego? California, you mean? Yeah, as in the Padres. What does he have to, is this the same guy? Same guy. Di- he was sa- the patron saint of the people who founded oh, San Diego. My, he is holy. There All right. you go. Oh, so he go. was so holy in this town <laughs> that people believed his corpse, his 100-year dead corpse, had healing powers. And some people, there are different stories, but some people say that even they, uh, these... That unbeknownst to Don Carlos... That night that he had the dream? The priesthood and the king himself, according to some stories, went and they got this corpse out of the church, out of the crypt. They carried it through the streets. They brought it to the bedroom. They literally put it, they sort of snuck it in bed with uh, Don Carlos, and that's how he healed. They didn't stick him in bed with this bones, right? They just kind of, they brought him into the room. There's different reports, but there's a (laughs) picture of it in in this engraving. Oh. Um, And if... You can. You, you Wait, probably can't see it, but look at this picture right here. She had a, a a copy of a 16th, roughly a 16th century woodcut, showing you this scene where you could kind of see. Oh wait! So he's in bed. The two men in bed together. One guy who's alive barely, and another guy who's been dead a hundred years. Well, well they like... could be. You know, they could be just <laughs> laying him down. Okay. Yeah, it was we're caught in the middle. Meanwhile, back to our story. You got Philip II, who has asked God for a miracle. God came through through this monk, and now Philip II is like, uh oh, I got to deliver. King Philip II owes God a miracle. That miracle after the break. Hey, this is Brian in Red Bluff, California. Radio Lab is supported in part by the Alfred P. Sloan Foundation, enhancing public understanding of science and technology in the modern world. More information about Sloan at www.sloan.org. Radio Lab is supported by Babbel. Sometimes self-improvement can feel like a pretty overwhelming journey. So what if this year you just got a tiny bit better every day? When you're learning a new language with Babbel, that's exactly what you're doing. Babbel is a science-backed language learning app with quick 10-minute lessons that have been handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. You can learn everything you need to have real-world conversations, café s'il vous plaît, from vocabulary words to culture and more. And if Babbel can help you start speaking a new language in just three weeks, imagine what you could do in a few months or a full year. Here is a special limited time deal for Radiolab listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash Radiolab. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com slash Radiolab, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash Radiolab. Rules and restrictions may apply. Hi, I'm Alexis Ohanian. You may know me as one of the co-founders of Reddit, but more recently... A large part of my identity is being a father to my wonderful daughters. In my podcast, Business Dad, I hope to open the conversation about working parents a bit. You'll get to hear from a wide range of business dads, from Rain Wilson and Guy Raz to Todd Carmichael and Shane Battier, to find out how they balance being a dad with a successful career. Business Dad is available now, so be sure to listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jad Abumrad. This is Radio Lab. Let's return now to our story from Latif Nasser, where we left off 
It is 1562-ish. King Philip is on the hook. He knows he owes God a miracle. And he's, he's acutely aware of this. So basically what he does is he enlists this really renowned clockmaker. A clockmaker? Yep, named uh, Juanello Turiano. A huge man, a big ox of a man, described as always being filthy and <laughs> blustery and not a lot of fun to be around. But a great, great clockmaker. Certainly among the best. In Spain. Maybe the entire Holy Roman Empire. So the king goes to this guy and he says, look, I want you to make a mechanical version of Diego de Alcala. What? A mechanical version of this 100-year dead holy priest. Yes. Like a mechanical monk. A robotic padre. Yeah. Which, and this I did not expect, still exists. Now the monk body's in the Smithsonian, perfect working order. No way. I swear, I swear that it's since 1977. No. Yeah. The first time I saw this figure, I was drawn to it and then repelled. That's Carlene Stevens. She is a curator at the Smithsonian in D.C. About a week after Latif and I spoke, we ended up in D.C. meeting with her, and she showed us... Oh, wow. Wow. The monk, who lives in a little glass case. What we have here is an automaton, over 400 years old. Um, so the first, is this the first robot that we know of? No. No, no, no. No, no idiot. The ancient Greeks had mm-hmm. things that could be considered robots. Okay, back to our story. 450-some-odd years ago, our clockmaker... What's his name? Uh, Toriano. Toriano. He goes into his shop and he, he does whatever he does. Connects one gear to another to another. For hours. Weeks. Months. No idea how long it takes. And I don't think anybody does. But he merges one day into the bright sunshine with, what did you call it? A robotic padre. Yeah. It's a 15-inch high figure made of wood and iron. Has the sort of habit, has the sandals, has the rosary, has the cross. Yeah. And poking out of the top of the habit is a little bald, hairless head. With that sharp nose, like a like a razor. And the rather ferocious eyes. Like intense or like uh, like doing business ferocious? Like you well, like, I'm focused. I'm focused. Like maybe I'm only 15 inches tall, but I am focused on something much bigger than you, you human. So did you like turn it on or push something? Yeah. Or? Then why would I get on a train and go for three hours just <laughs> right, to, right, to right, go right. look at it? Obvious question. Okay, do you want to mind it? Sure. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Do it. So Carlene takes us out into the hall. We sit down on the floor. She gives Latif a little brass key. He sticks it into the secret slot in the monk's side. And I think it goes counterclockwise. You, you okay. would tend You would tend to want to do it this way. Let and Latif winds up the monk. And I'm turning it counterclockwise, and it's surprisingly sort of taut. How much should I turn And so... If you sort of wind up this sort of secret spring. I think there's a stop in it all. Okay. All right, I'm going. I'm going. Put it on the ground. All right. Let him go? Yeah. Give him a push? It'll walk very slowly. One foot after the other, coming out from under the cassock. In fact, there's actually little wheels under there. But yet you see the feet coming out. The head is turning from right to left. The eyes are rolling in the head. The mouth is opening and closing. As if it's sort of muttering like a prayer. 
The arms are in motion. One arm is raising and lowering a cross. The other arm is beating the chest. Wow. A symbolic gesture. To a Catholic. That is called the mea culpa. After three or four steps, the, the arm holding the cross does something new. It moves two different new directions to bring the cross to the mouth and the figure kisses the cross. It's oddly, like, uh, mesmerizing. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The next thing it's doing is that it's turning and moving in a different direction and then walking its paces and kissing the cross. As we watched it, it turned once, then twice, then three times, four times, and then it got back to where it started. So if you imagine a table with a number of people sitting around it, probably it's going to sort of, at one point or another, head for you and then turn away and head for someone else and then turn away. Why would the king of Spain, uh, who could have, you know, I don't know, built a church or, or, or taken a crusade to Jerusalem or done something, you know, he could have done anything. Why did he decide to commemorate his son's revival by making a little automatic doll? Like, what was that for? Yeah, lots of, what was he thinking? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. That's the $64,000 question. It's a great question. It's a really good question. The truth is there's really no way to know for sure. And as a historian, I got to i got to rely on the documentation. And there's not a whole lot of that in this case. But one interpretation certainly could be that, you know, the king had this amazing, miraculous thing happen to his son. And now he had a way of sharing that with his subjects. Because he's got this device where it's, a, it's an illusion. Like, the machinery of it is completely hidden. There's no visible... That's, yeah, that's one of the craziest parts. That it's all sort of hidden underneath the, the robe. So when he put it down on a table or in a courtyard, people would have seen it move on its own. They would have been amazed, as we were. And he could have said, look, here is the miracle. Look what God did for our country. God likes Spaniards. Yeah, look at what God did for Spain, mm. which would have been a useful thing for a king to be able to say, right? Yep. That's, so that's one possibility. Yeah. The other is that just on a more utilitarian level, this was a machine that was built to pray. And this was a period when you could buy prayer repetitions. So if you had the money. You could get someone to pray for you while you go do something else. Oh, that's oh, so, so you're, cool. You're, so you're covered. You're You're covered. And if you think about it from Philip's perspective, he needed to say thank you to God. And here he had this thing that if he wound up was an automated thank you machine. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Yeah, it could be thank you, thank you, thank you. Or it could be, I love you, I love you, I love you. It could also be, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Or it could be, please, 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 please. Whatever you need. But if you think about it more expansively, says Latif, like what did it mean at that time to be a Catholic? Like, what did it really mean? Well, then this robot was maybe the best Catholic you could ever hope to be. What counted as prayer was, was, was quite specific in the sense that if you say the right things and, and do the right actions in the right order, in the right time, and in the right place, sort of that's prayer. That's when God notices. So it's about method. It's about method. It's about... And maybe this monk, he says, was like method embodied. That's a good one. I mean, why not? It it is, in fact, perfect. It repeats itself over and over and over, and it replicates the ideal. So it's basically what it is, is... A little little teaching object. Like, this is what you're aiming for. Here's how you do it. Like, this is it. This is the perfect prayer. The perfect... Prayer. This is doing it the perfect way every time. And I, because I'm, I'm just this, you know, lowly, imperfect human, um, 
I'm not. I can only aspire to this perfect piety. Are you making this up, or do you think that this might the monk might have actually been seen this way? It could be true. I don't think it's so <laughs> crazy. Especially if you think about what was happening at that moment. And this is counter-Reformation Spain, right? Not so long after Luther, you know, is nailing his theses on the wall. And there's this big debate raging about how actually do you get closer to God? You have the kind of protesters with, with Luther who are saying it's not about, you know, works. It's not about saying something this many times. It's about whether you feel it. And then you have the kind of Catholic argument, which is to say you do these rituals because these are the rituals. And these are the way you get, this is the way you get close to God. Uh, this is the way you pray. You pray like this thing. Just like this thing. And if you're a Catholic king, and if God's a Catholic, and you better hope he is. And if you're Philip II, you look at the sky, and you say, God, you and me are square. There it is, early Latif Nasser. Thanks to him, and to you guys for listening and for making 2018 a year that, as tumultuous as it was, still contains a lot to be grateful for. And listen, we're raising money to produce Radio Lab in 2019. This is going to be our most ambitious year. We have a ton of new things planned, new series that we're going to be bringing you, but we need help getting them funded. So if you dig Radio Lab, if you want more of it, go to radiolab.org, click that donate button. Or text the word Radiolab, no space, to 70101. That's the word Radiolab to 70101. Thank you. We can't do this without you. Just a couple days, we're going to be sending you another uh, lot of situation, conversation that he and producer Rachel Cusick had about how to find stories, a bunch of techniques that I think we could all use in our lives, even if you're not doing the thing that we're doing, but you just kind of want to have more newness, more interestingness in your life. That's coming up soon. Until then, I'm Jad Abumrad. Thanks for listening and for supporting the show. Hi, this is Tom. I'm calling from Seattle, Washington. Well, Radio Lab was created by Jad Abumrad and produced by Soren Wheeler. And Dylan Keefe is our director of sound design. Maria Matasar Padilla is our managing director. Our staff includes Simon Adler, Becca Bressier, and Rachel Kusick, David Gebel, Bethel Habdi, and Tracy Hunt. Well, Matt Keelty, Robert Krolich, Annie McEwen and Latif Nasser, Melissa O'Donnell and Arianne Wackpad Walters, Molly Webster with help from Shima Oliahi, Katz Laszlo and Mo Asabiomo, our fact checker is Michelle Harris